You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The damage they do will be permanent and will be irreversible. Can't let it happen. Nothing and no one will be able to stop them. The Senate seats are truly the last line of defense. Now, I must preface that by saying because they'll say he just conceded. No, no, I don't concede. So we have quite an important race today determining control of the United States Senate. As you know, Republicans already have 50 seats. Democrats have 48 seats. There are two Senate seats in play because there was no one who got more than 50 percent in the election. So that forces a runoff. And now we have this battle between these candidates playing out with the whole country watching very closely because so much is at stake. You got Ossoff hoping to defeat Purdue. You have Warnock up against Kelly Leffler. And many people now sitting around wondering what would happen. I mean, the president even understands the stakes here. What would happen if the Democrats had, well, I shouldn't say uncontested, but majority control. Hopefully we'll contest it no matter what. Majority control in the House, the Senate, and, and of course having the presidency as well. What are the kinds of things that they would do? Often we talk about politics in more general terms. Perhaps even we focus in on things that are more theoretically impactful, that are more a question of what is what is best, what is right, but not necessarily what will affect you. The control of the Senate, especially when you take into account the very high likelihood that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, the 99.9% likelihood that they're going to be the president and vice president of the United States in just a matter of weeks here. The Senate is, as the president, as our current president Trump pointed out, the last line of defense. And if you have Harris and Biden, gosh, I didn't mean to say it in that order, but seems right, doesn't it? Increasingly, this will look like a Harris presidency with this guy named Joe Biden, who's hanging out in the Oval Office, but not really calling the shots. That's my prediction. But if they don't have the Senate, they're not able to do the same kind of long-term damage, and they're much less likely to be able to do damage that will affect you. Here's what they're not telling you. Here's what you're not hearing about what this will influence. If we have Democrats in control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, you will see a major increase in taxes you will see an effort to try and come up with a public option which will expand the one thing do you know what drives most states deep into the red do you you know what the single biggest budget item is that that pushes states into debt and then causes more borrowing and then there's interest payments which means guess what more tax on all of you it is medicaid It is the government's idea of providing health care for people at a certain income level. That's the single biggest driver of state debt. Do you think that a public option is going to be a plan that people will want to be on? The only way that happens is if they're getting a much better deal. They're getting much more out of it than they pay into it. 
And that's going to drive up the cost of health care for everyone else because you're going to be subsidizing that public option, just like your taxes currently pay for Medicaid. So that's one thing. They'll definitely do that. I mean, that's a given. There'll be environmental policies. There'll be an increase in the corporate tax rate to whatever it will be, 28 percent or 30 percent or who knows, which means that you'll see a decline in the stock market. You'll see a decline in your 401ks. Hiring will go down just at a point when we could see a major economic recovery. And we can tell based on what's already happened this year under Trump that there is a lot of cash on the sidelines or a lot of people just waiting just waiting for that green light for the economy to open back up again post COVID. And there'll be a flurry, a frenzy of productive wealth creation for Americans all across the country. That can happen. But if you have these Democrats able to do whatever they want without Republicans having a majority in any uh, in any aspect of the rulemaking and implementing part of the government, right? If, if they have the White House and the Congress all locked up, they're going to do whatever they want. So those are things that will absolutely happen. And then we get into the what could happen. Then we get into the what if things get really bad. And for that, I would just bring you to the long term structural changes that Democrats can go for right away. They are already talking about and they're still doing it, going right into an election here. They're talking about statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico, which would add four United States senators, which means they're going to have a Senate majority for the next, let's say, decade or two. And that's really just baked into the cake. That's all done if they do that. Uh, They're going to try to pack the courts. They will. I shouldn't say try. They will pack the courts with activists. They'll pack the courts with people who think that you should say amen and a women. You know it. They'll pack the courts with social justice warriors, with those who are so brainwashed by wokeness and political correctness that the law will not matter because they see a greater justice in diversity and inclusion efforts than anything actually written in statute or the Constitution. They'll they'll have judges that reject science while claiming to embrace it on issues of the right to life in the womb. They'll, they'll put judges forward that will make sure that your liberty is is only at the whim of the state. There's no freedom. There's no protection that you have when some Democrat demagogue comes along and says, oh, but this is really important. Oh, but covid means that the Constitution no longer counts. The left is all on board with an ideology of the eradication of your rights when they think it's convenient, when they think it's necessary. There is no right that you have that the state cannot violate, including just the right to a fair trial, the right to not be detained for no reason. The most basic kinds of justice are under assault in the COVID era. You have things like the bill in New York State. Well, they'll be able to detain you because you're considered a public health risk. Who determines whether you're a public health risk? The people in charge. How do you even get to fight that? You don't. They can just take you now. Whatever happened to habeas corpus? Whatever happened to due process? Democrats are abandoning all this, but we're not paying attention to that as a country, are we? No, no, we're supposed to focus on Trump's phone call in Georgia. Oh, my gosh, impeach him again. Impeach him for what exactly? The president believes that the election was stolen from him. He thinks that Raffensperger is an incompetent buffoon, and he is. So he doesn't trust Raffensperger's word when he says, oh, no, you have the wrong numbers. And once again, they're telling us the president, because of what he said on a phone call, should be impeached and I suppose removed. 
because it's never enough for them. It wouldn't be enough even if Trump were removed from office at this very late stage and then prosecuted. They would still feel like Trump got off easy. And this is what we are up against with these Democrats. And it's why I want to tell you, in the same way that Trump turned around the idea of fake news on the lib media, one of the great things about Trumpism has been his willingness, his ability, his tenacity in fighting back against the fake news media. He turned the term around on them and they absolutely hated it. Because remember, in the early days, they were saying that fake news was the only reason people wanted to vote for Donald Trump. It's because Trump voters were such uh, such easily fooled imbeciles that they could see things on the Internet that weren't true and say, yeah, I'm going to vote for Trump. That was what fake news was supposed to be. Then Trump said, no, you, the mainstream media, you are the fake news. You lie. You lie about things and pretend that you are the truth tellers, which makes it even worse. And they hated that. They hated it because he turned it around. Well, I say that we borrow from them once again. It is time for the hashtag resistance. And this will drive them mad. Remember this in the beginning, the very earliest days of the Trump presidency. They said that they were going to resist. And there were explicit comparisons between the French, the resistance, fighting against occupied Nazi uh, rule. Now, that was what they were trying. They're trying to create this uh, comparison between them and the fighters of fascism. Well, this time around, when we know who the true fascist impulse comes from, where we know who the real authoritarians are, the Democrat Party and the left, I say we take a page from their playbook. We resist at every stage. The Senate would give us a very powerful tool in that process, but also Trump appointed judges should hold to the law because by doing that, they'll be sufficiently problematic for the authoritarian left. And so, therefore, that will become another avenue of resistance. We resist. And this Georgia Senate battle today is an important piece in all of that. If we have a Senate majority, we're able to stifle, stymie, hobble the agenda of Biden Harris and the left wing libs. We can effectively make them inept more so than they would already be. That's what's at stake today. I certainly hope that anybody listening to this in Georgia, and I know there are many of you, I certainly hope that people listening to this who are legally able to and still can vote, and we're expecting massive turnout today from Republicans. Early voting tends to go the Democrats' way, but this time around I'm hoping Republicans show just what turnout on Election Day really means. The stakes are indeed very high. They're high for you. The Georgia Senate seats in play right now will determine how much money you have in your bank account at some level a year from now. It will determine what kind of health care options you have, what kind of environmental regulations you live under, and perhaps whether or not you can even have the option of voting for a Republican Party that has a realistic shot of taking back power at the national level. Those are the kind of things that are on the ballot, as they say. The radicalism of the left needs to be defeated. And at a minimum, at a minimum, we need to have tools like a Senate majority and an emboldened Republican base 
that's willing to continue this fight no matter what happens in the Trump re-election recount battle. Those are the stakes, friends. That's what we're up to today. We'll continue to look very closely at all aspects of this fight. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest news and information from Buck by heading to BuckSexton.com. Tomorrow, each of you is going to vote in one of the most important runoff elections of the history of our country. Frankly, forget about runoff. One of the most important elections, really. It's really not runoff. It's elections because uh, it's a biggie. Our country is depending on you. The whole world is watching the people of Georgia tomorrow. And you got to swamp them because everything's so crooked around. I mean, not and not here. They were saying, oh, he's complaining about Georgia. No, no, I'm complaining about eight different states. Uh, And I think we're going to win them all. Says he's going to win them all. But let's focus on what he's saying first here about the Senate race. It is absolutely critical for the reasons we're outlining it. And and with Ossoff and and Warnock, you do have quite a uh, quite a duo of Democrats who are really representative of the ideological trajectory of, of that party right now. I mean, Ossoff, I mean, this is a guy who what is well, why should John Ossoff be a United States senator? What exactly has he done? He's done a little bit of uh, staff work for somebody else in the House, and uh, he's rich because of who dad is. Well, that's not particularly impressive, but the left loves this guy. So that tells you a lot, doesn't it? And then you have Mr. Or Mr. Raphael Warnock, uh, the Reverend Raphael Warnock, who is a doctrinaire leftist uh, who says what he needs to say in order to appeal to his favored constituencies. And what would he do? Well, they'll do whatever the Democrat left wants them to. It's not even really clear in any way what they uh, would push for on their own. They're going to be functionaries uh, largely if they win in the Democrat machine. But that's all they have to be. They just have to go along with it. And there's the Republican candidates in this case who are, let's just be honest, not particularly strong. They're good enough. They're far better than these Democrats. And good heavens, please don't let me giving you a little bit of honesty here dissuade any of you in Georgia from going out there and casting your vote for these two candidates. But Leffler, uh has done okay and purdue is also uh, okay <laughs> you know you, you really look at them you say okay well but they're republicans and they will at least support policies that will be better off for the rest of us whether democrats realize it or not but trump is clearly upset as well at what's going on in the state of georgia and this is a big problem uh, this is georgia friends this is not some place that we thought we'd be having these kinds of troubles. So Democrats, there, there's the immediate power issue here of control of the Senate and also Trump continuing to contest the uh, the outcome in Georgia. But then there's the what does this place look like? What does the state of Georgia look like in two years? What does it look like in four years? This is a in the center of the South trending blue state. And we have to look at why that is and what's going on. And you have to think that the GOP state apparatus is not doing a particularly impressive job at all and governor kemp in particular who just barely beat stacy remember stacy abrams the fake governor of georgia uh, just kemp barely beat her uh, trump is 
unhappy with Kemp to the point where he's already threatening to campaign against him. Play 15. I'll be here in about a year and a half campaigning against your governor, I guarantee you that. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say this because I just don't want you to tell anybody outside of this room other than the millions of people. No, but, you know, I endorsed him. He was in last place. And I endorsed him. He went to first place very, like, immediately. And then he won the primary. And then I gave him a couple of rallies, which I don't like doing for other people. I was telling Kevin, I don't do rallies for other people. I do them for me, right? The president has had the incredible ability to pass his support to other people. You know, Obama, as popular as he was among Democrats, his popularity did not translate to others. When Trump shows up and says, this is my guy or gal, it tends to really move the needle in in impressive ways. And that may continue on. We'll see. Uh, We'll have to look and watch for what the president's next moves will be. He, He very clearly has no interest in uh, going quietly into the night. We know that much. And he's saying that he's continuing to contest this election. But right now, we got to spend the next, uh, the next, you know, let's see, 12 hours, friends, all that really matters, all that really matters uh, for, the, for the rest of, of today, going into tonight, uh, well, just say the rest of today, forget about the 12 hours, uh, is that we get this Georgia election done and we get these two Senate seats. Everybody out there, Team Buck Georgia, go vote. Tell your friends to vote. Stay in line once you're in line. It's all on you, my friends. Godspeed. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. What has gone wrong with the rollout of the vaccine that we've seen phone lines jammed, websites crashed? There's a lot of demand. I mean, I think at the end of the day, excuse me, excuse me. If I could finish my question. You just said what has gone wrong, so I'm answering the question. If I could complete the question, though. So are you going to give a speech or are you going to answer, ask a question? With all due respect, Governor, you asked the question, I'm I'm going to answer it. I'm trying to finish my question. No, you're you're giving a speech. You asked the question. I am trying to ask you the. You're going to ask how many questions? You get three? They only got one question. Why do you get three? With all due respect, Governor, I'm just asking if I could finish my question. You didn't. You finished the question. I did not. My full question is what went wrong with the rollout of the vaccine when we've seen phone lines jammed, websites So you're repeating your question. To complete it for you, Governor, we've seen websites crash and also senior citizens waiting overnight for the vaccine. Where was that at? We've seen it in Duval, Broward, Orange, and Lee County. And why was, like, in Lee, why did that happen? Did you investigate that's, why? That's my question to you, Governor. You're the governor of the state. I'm not the governor of the state. Okay, but you didn't investigate why that happened, like, in Lee County. Why, why was there a big line? Did you did you investigate why? Could you tell us because why? Because we, we distributed vaccine to hospitals, and, and the hospital said, first come, first serve. If you show up, we'll do it. So they didn't use a registration system. There wasn't anything that was done, and there's a lot of demand for it. So people are going to want to so go ahead and, uh, no and get it. So there was no plan then from the state to make sure that senior citizens didn't wait outside overnight? So the state is not dictating to hospitals how we're not dictating to Carlos Magoya how he runs his operations here. That would be a total disaster. These guys are much more competent to be able to deliver health care services than a state government could ever be. Knockout from Ron DeSantis against a, a, a CNN fake news journal. I've never seen that one before, but 
There she was. I, I, I like I like this. Republicans have to do this when you're up against the 95 percent Democrat media, when you're up against a a news, uh, a news apparatus that will do everything in its power to help one side and to crush you, to attack you all the time. You've got to take every opportunity to point out the bias because otherwise they get what they want and they win. So you've got to say, hold on a second. Why? Why is the premise of your question based in the failures of the state? And you want to do some long rambling speech? Look, she wanted her MSNBC moment. Well, she got her Fox News moment, perhaps. She wanted to be able to attack Ron DeSantis, who has been the best governor of a large populous state in the country and handling covid all right people vote with their feet the numbers don't lie when you see the top places where americans are moving and this is from there's a u-haul in the big moving company they put out their data uh, there's there's other moving companies that have done the same where is everybody going right now all right we've been in a crisis states are doing different things and this is the way it's supposed to be right states are able to pursue their own pathways to deal with a crisis like this. And where where are people fleeing and where are people showing up? Well, they're leaving in unprecedented numbers, at least in modern history, you know, New York, California, New Jersey. They're leaving big blue enclaves, right? The heart of the Democrat uh, financial you know, money and political power infrastructure. They're saying this is just crazy. Where are they going? Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, either somewhat red or very red states, but also states that have low or no income tax, states that have been more open during the covid pandemic. Ron DeSantis has been basically running one big move here. It's better ad during all of this. And to uh, to our, our listeners um, in in the Miami area and and in the Tampa area, we got to WFLA and WIOD to our listeners down in the Florida area. We, we would just say congratulations for uh, already being down there. <laughs> right? Good job. Uh, good job. So I've just got to tell you, I'm I'm um, amazed that the broader perception hasn't shifted faster here. Uh, you see, everyone's going to places that are doing a better job with this. And they're fleeing the places that the media pretends. Gavin Newsom and Governor and, and Governor Cuomo, Governors Newsom and Cuomo are a disaster, an absolute disaster. And all the data shows it. You got twenty two thousand dead in uh, in Florida from covid with two million more in population. You've got. Over 30,000, and now I think it's like 33 or 34,000 dead in New York. That's a lot more. That's a much bigger death toll. And, and Florida has an even higher percentage of seniors. Remember, the, the biggest vulnerability group is senior citizens. You'd think that Florida would have been hit worse than anybody by this, but no. And in terms of, uh, in terms of deaths per capita, they're essentially in the middle of the pack. But understand this. They're in the middle of the pack for a, for a state that has a lot of uh, pretty dense cities and also for a state that hasn't been closed down. The closed down state should be they, they should be able to point the lockdown states should be able to point at more open states and say, oh, my gosh, look at what a terrible job you've done. Look at how much better off we are not going to do that in California right now. 
California is having its worst ever period of COVID cases. Los Angeles hospitals, according to the Daily Mail, have suffered a 1,000% spike in admissions because of COVID, and ambulances have been told to stop transporting patients with little chance of survival. Now, Los Angeles was held up as a model for all of us, and I, I think we, we need to remember this. Los Angeles and California, they were, see, we wear masks, unlike you dumb Trump supporters, which isn't even true. People all across the country wearing masks. But they had this belief that the only people that don't wear masks are Trump supporters, and therefore, they were really, uh, they're really horrible about this, too. You know, it, it was our... It was our fault when anyone, when anyone on the right got sick. It was it was our problem that we had created. Well, what's the situation in Los Angeles? Why why is COVID so out of control there? It has a relatively moderate climate. I mean, it's not quite Florida, but pretty close to it. Why is it so much worse off? The people that told you they knew what to do and their policies would work were wrong. They were wrong. They can deny this as much as they want. They can pretend it's not true. They were wrong. Didn't work. They can say it's because we didn't do a good enough job. They can have all the excuses they want. But at the end of the day, you know, if this if this is a war, their battle plan did not succeed. All right. The generals need to get fired. That's what's happening in California. Meanwhile, in, in Florida, yes, it's not perfect. Obviously, there are a lot of people who are getting sick and a, and a, and a lot of people who are dying in Florida from COVID, but that's happening everywhere. But Florida is still open. And Ron DeSantis isn't going to sit there and have a CNN reporter do a speech in the, you know, do a speech under the guise of a question to basically be why you're doing such a bad job with the vaccine rollout. Have you seen such an aggressive question posed by any CNN journalist to Governor Cuomo ever? Particularly about his disastrous COVID response. No, of course not. Because this is all important to the overall narrative. There, there's a broad narrative here of who is better at handling this public health challenge. The same way that we would have this on issues of national security. Do you trust Democrats or Republicans more on national security? For a long time, it was a huge, clear favorite of Republicans. And then it balanced out a little bit after some of the Mideast wars. And uh, But I think it would still be, I'd have to check the most recent polls. Republicans tend to have an advantage there. Well, on who do you trust to do a better job in a pandemic? They've blamed Trump for all this, but really you have to look at this on a state-by-state level. And Republican states are doing better in their fight against COVID than Democrat, than large Democrat states are. And now I know one of the highest uh, deaths per capita states, for example, is Massachusetts, where you have a technically Republican governor, but it's a Democrat state. It's overwhelmingly Democrat voters. And the Dem- and the politicians that have power there are, you know, and it's this guy is not like some Trump supporting Republican either. He's kind of a, a fakey Republican, you know. But you look at the places that have had the worst, worst results, New York, Michigan, New Jersey, Massachusetts, now California. Really bad results from this. And the media can't allow this to be a widespread recognition. They can't allow people to figure out, hold on a second. I thought Democrats were the science people and they wear masks. So it's all so much better. Why is it so much worse in their states? They probably argue about population density, which is that is a reasonable point to make, but that doesn't explain the full disparity. Look at Texas, look at Florida. Where would you have rather been during this 
uh, during this pandemic. And it's states that are more red, even with even with large cities, even with huge populations. You'd rather be in a state that's more red. And then you also have the growth of the tyranny mindset among Democrats. Do you, do you know that in New York right now, there's there's a bill that has been in circulation that would allow Governor Cuomo to just detain people who are believed to be a public health risk. Let, let me get into this, because these details, this is chilling. And if they can do it in New York, trust me, they're going to want to do it in California. There are other places they'll try this as well. And if you think the federal government under a Biden administration is going to try to step in and protect your basic constitutional rights, you're in for a surprise. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I think one of the biggest things I learned, and I say this as a neurosurgeon, uh, you know, someone who, who operates on people uh, who are in the worst of situations often, is that, is that science cannot rescue us from ourselves. Um, we can have these incredible breakthroughs, and we will, in vaccines and therapeutics and new forms of testing. I mean, it is really just remarkable to see, and I think we will be a different world as a result of the medical innovation that we have seen this year. But if we don't lean into the basic health practices, um, they make such a big difference. I mean, even now, 100 years after the, the great pandemic of 1918, the same things made the biggest difference. Wearing masks, keeping distance, washing hands. We can talk about mRNA vaccines and all those things, but washing hands and wearing a mask makes as big a difference. It doesn't sound as, as neat or as fancy, but it can make such a huge impact. And it's something I, I, will, I will now always remind my patients of. I want you to be very clear with this. Here you have the CNN's favorite on-air doctor, Dr. Gupta, telling you that washing hands and wearing masks uh, is as important as a vaccine. Does, does anybody really believe that? I know there are people who have been brainwashed, but, but think about that for a second. The vaccine is 95% effective. So how, how are we supposed to take this? Hand washing and mask wearing is 95 percent effective. Well, then explain California to me, Doc. Oh, this was all so obvious. It was so obvious that at the very beginning of this, all these so-called experts were telling us they know the history. They know about the pandemic of 1918. At the beginning, they're saying, no, nah, I don't wear masks. That's that's how obvious this was in medicine. Right? But they're they just doesn't matter. They just keep saying it. What are they going to do? Admit that they've been wrong this whole time about really important stuff? No, they're never going to do that. So they tell you that we can't save us from ourselves. You didn't do a good enough job. That's that's the takeaway you're supposed to have. Yeah. Masks and hand hand washing. Really? Show me that. Show me the hand washing as a means of stopping covid data. I'm just curious. Show me that data. Prove that one to me. Stop telling me. Prove it to me. Oh, but, you know, we did this study where people said they thought they washed more hands and because they washed more hands, maybe they thought, no, no, I want proof. Like I'm going to inject something in my arm that's going to save my life kind of proof. Not, oh, I think if you wash your hands, maybe theoretically it could help prevent some tiny percentage of spread, which when played out hundreds of millions of times over the course of a month may result in, you know, how many fewer cases? A handful? Who knows? This is what they're saying. That's right. It was all about masks. You see, the whole time, that's all we needed. Oh, wow. Okay. 
So somehow mask compliance goes up dramatically, 97 percent in a lot of these states. And yet we're having the worst outbreaks we've ever had. Worse than when nobody was wearing masks, really, or very few people. Explain that to me. Make that make sense. Oh, and they come up with all these. And, and then their explanation, you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that, that's not true. And then you say, shut up, science. That's what they do. While that's all happening, you have things like New York Bill A416. Now, I know for those of you who are listening in other states all across the country, you're probably thinking, well, this isn't my problem. Hmm. Uh, remember, I told you the stuff you're seeing in New York, the crazy lockdowns, the, uh, the the nonsense that we're all being put through in New York City, uh, that is now replicated in many other Democrat cities and states across the country. So get ready for stuff like this. New York Bill A416, it would give the governor the ability to imprison or deport anyone he says is a public health threat. But not only is this now... This is detaining people without without trial. Now, I know they're going to say, oh, but it's but, you know, it's like quarantine. Yeah. Uh, taking quarantine powers for sick people, for things, you know, for if somebody has smallpox or somebody has Ebola, that's one thing. But this is quarantine powers for, well, we think there's the possibility you may be sick with covid, even though you feel fine and the tests are too sensitive, but we can still lock you up. This is from the bill. This is from the text of the bill. Quote, upon determining by clear and convincing evidence that the health of others may be endangered by a case contact or carrier or suspected case contact or carrier of a contagious disease that in the opinion of the governor may pose an imminent and significant threat to the public uh, public health resulting in high mortality, the governor or or his or her delegee including local health department commissioners, may order the removal and or detention of such a person or group of person, persons by issuing a single order. That's right. The governor or any health department official or anyone else that he designates can lock you up, can detain you because they think you are a health threat. Oh, but this won't be abused, right? This won't be used to get compliance. Really? Speak out against lockdowns? Refuse to wear your mask? You got to get locked up. You're a threat to public health. Don't you see how this is playing out? Don't you see the threat to your freedom and to your liberty from this? It's not just in New York. This is the Democrat mentality nationwide. It's not a question of whether they want to do this. It's do they have the power to implement this kind of authoritarian insanity because they want to. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Let's check in with our friend John Cardillo. He is a former NYPD officer, now a Florida resident, which comes into much of our discussion these days, and also a TV host, radio host, and uh, commentator on the right. My friend, Mr. Cardillo, good to see you again. Great to see you, Buck. How's everything going? I'm good, man. You know, you you are one of the original voices, kind of the, the, the with the siren call of make your way down to Florida. It's nice here. I've already lost. Uh, I've lost two of my brothers. I think they're never coming back. They, they're now they're now Florida guys. They love the flip flops, the beautiful weather, the right of center 
politics. I know there's still some big blue areas, yep. but they're they're having a good time. Um, I, what was what was just your, your your thought when you saw Governor DeSantis dealing with uh, that CNN reporter? Which she, you know she's doing the classic CNN thing. Let me just explain. Let yep. me do an editorial of your failure, and then just sort of drop that in front of you. And, and let you sit there and, and fumble around with it. The way that DeSantis handled that question, given his record this year in governing, makes me think maybe this guy's got even bigger plans. You know, Buck, I have I was critical around DeSantis early on this year when, when COVID first became a thing. Right. And I have never been happier to be dead wrong about a politician, especially a Republican conservative. I tweeted today after watching him, he took down Rosa Flores from CNN for that moronic question. Basically, she was trying to set him up saying, well, why is it that hospitals in Lee County, Florida, that's the Fort Myers area, have these crazy crowds outside? Why is there no system in place? And she had started to ask the question and then wanted to pontificate like these left-wing reporters do. Just, I'm, I'm throwing this out there for the viewer's reference point. And DeSantis just cut her off. He said, first of all, he said, look, basically said, you're testifying, you're not asking a question, you're asking three questions in one, everybody else got one. But what I loved was his answer. He said, the state doesn't dictate how hospitals administer the vaccine. The state's gonna get the vaccine to the hospital. And then he specifically pointed out a healthcare executive, he was at Jackson Health, which is a big facility down in Miami. And he pointed the guy out, mentioned his name and said, they know how to do what they do, hospitalization and healthcare, far better than the state does. If the state does it, it's a disaster. And his answer in Lee County was that the hospital in Lee County at Fort Myers area hospital said, first come, first serve. We've got the vaccine. There was great demand and people crowded it. Well, she tried to blame it on him. And he said, hey, look, we're not going to tell the state is not going to tell hospitals how to administer health care. I think Ron DeSantis, there should be mandatory training with Ron DeSantis on how to handle hostile leftist media for Republican politicians at this point. He's doing a great job. Yeah, and I also have noticed the, a game that the, the lib media likes to play where if you, if you let the decision-making, if you put the decision-making in the hands of the experts and it's, it's you know, there's, there are problems, it's not wrong, you, you have, uh, you know, you've abdicated leadership, what's wrong with you? But if you decide that you as the, you know, executive branch official at the state level or even at the federal level are going to make the final call, it's why aren't you listening to the experts, right? You can't win either way. Nah, it's a lose-lose for the look. They, CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post. Ideologically, they cannot bring themselves to admit that the private sector and the free market exists. Let alone does things right. Let alone has the right to do things. So to them, it is it is utterly perplexing. They're befuddled when a politician points to a business executive and says, "Hey." That guy knows how to do his job far better than we in government do. If, if we in government did it, it's a disaster. That's that's horrific. That's horrific. That's like the torture of puppies to the mainstream media. I mean, they can't think of a more terrifying concept than giving the private sector the freedom to operate. We're speaking to John Cardillo, former NYPD and a conservative commentator. John, by the time people hear this, they may have a, a little bit more info than we do on on Georgia, but but just going into this big day today, what are your thoughts? How are you feeling about this? Obviously, big stakes. You know, big stakes. I'm just shocked. I am absolutely shocked at the Trafalgar poll. Now, Trafalgar Associates has been one of the better polling firms. Robert Cahaley, who runs it, a good guy, very reputable guy. One of the few traditional pollsters I'll actually uh, give credence to. 
It is absolutely mind-blowing to me, Buck, that Raphael Warnock, with his history of racist statements, anti-Semitic statements, blocking a child abuse investigation at his camp, to which the Georgia Bureau of Investigation Investigators, one of the most professional law enforcement agencies in this country, said they'd never seen obstruction like that to his wife's allegations about abuse, that this guy is polling a point ahead of the Republican, that John Ossoff, a, a Hollywood transplant into Georgia. So I don't know if it says that the Republican Party has dropped the ball on grassroots. I don't know if it says they didn't spend enough money or if fraud is just that rampant. And people like Stacey Abrams have done a good job combining that fraud with outreach, especially in minority communities. But I'll tell you one thing, it shouldn't be. The Republicans in Georgia should be up by six, seven, eight points. And we need to do a really, really thorough postmortem on how the Republican Party from the GOP to the National Republican Senatorial Committee, these fundraising entities have operated throughout this election cycle. I, I think it's abysmal that we're where we are. And, and I'm concerned that we might lose the Senate. We might wake up tomorrow to leader Schumer. But even more concerning, Buck, last point on this, why are we now being told yet again that we might not have the results of this election tonight, that it might take weeks? What is this new precedent where we can't count an election on election day? And you've got the Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger acting very petty, acting questionably. He was interviewed by Martha McCallum on Fox, and his answer seemed like it was a it was a grudge match against him and David Perdue. Something really isn't right in Georgia. And I believe that this is going to be Brian Kemp and Raffensperger's last term in politics. I don't think either one of them survives a primary in 22. And what do you think about the president's uh, continued? What do we call it now? I mean, he's he's not conceding, he said last night at the rally. We've got Senator Ted Cruz, along with, I believe, 10. Oh, no, more than 10 now, because Leffler said that she would also, uh, you know, if if she is able to, she would also uh, stand with the president on this one um, or she will. I mean, she's already said that she'll do that because I guess it'll happen uh, <laughs> this week. Um, so what exactly what do, what do you think happens as a result of this demand for the 10 days of further investigation into the presidential election vote situation in Georgia? I think, I, I hope something will happen. I don't think anything's going to happen. Look, the Democrats have the majority, right? So back in 2016, I think it was six or seven Democratic senators objected to Donald Trump's election. Donald Trump was inaugurated on January 20th. I don't, you know, boring I mean, I mean, the Hiroshima, the, the, the you know, the uh, fat man and little boy nuke level of evidence that would be required to overturn this. Barring that coming to light today and tomorrow, that would force our entire judicial system, DOJ, the courts, Congress into action. I don't see anything changing the outcome. And unfortunately, I think we're going to endure a Joe Biden presidency for a little while, then a Kamala Harris presidency until 2024, because if they had. If this smoking gun evidence existed, if this nuke level evidence existed, I, it would have been presented already. D.C. leaks like a sieve. You and I are in this business. We know how that goes. It wouldn't have been under wraps. I, I think the awareness is great. I love that a few million people are showing up in D.C. tomorrow. I think we could shine a bright light on election fraud. We can make some changes in the party, more America first people. But, but I just don't see the results of this election changing. I'm, I'm disappointed because... I really do believe and I know you do, too. And we've talked offline about this extensively, that there were there were intentional 
distortions and essentially subversions of the electoral process by Democrats in this election year so that it would be very easy to commit fraud and also, and this is the critical point, very hard to prove it. That said, I also think that, you know, they, they needed we, we needed a a clear, bright red line caught fraud moments in this to blow the whole thing open. And I, I, I'm not even willing to. It's not that I don't think that happened, John, but the inability to find that. And I know it's a, you know, it's a short period of time, everything else. You, you just it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. That's right. Yeah, look, I mean, you and I have agreed on this for months. We spoke about it. We saw each other last week at dinner. We spoke about this. Uh, the problem is that I'm going to place blame right here and I'm going to name names. The Republican National Committee and GOP chairwoman, Ronna Romney McDaniel. They sat on hundreds of millions of dollars for two years. They were warned about voter fraud. Memos were generated them a year ago when the election was really in full swing. They did nothing. They did nothing until the president deployed lawyers on election night, not even election night, the next morning at about 5 a.m. is when he really weaponized and actionized Rudy Giuliani to put a legal team in place. The RNC could have had a preemptive legal strategy. They could have had mathematicians, statisticians, litigators, election law experts, constitutional scholars. They should have had all that in place for the last year. They were warned for two years. They saw Russiagate, they saw the nonsense, the impeachment sham, they did nothing they raised about a quarter billion dollars for this legal effort to fight election fraud. They spent about four million of it. Where is that? The rest of that quarter billion. So I squarely put this on the shoulders of the RNC. They should have been in front of this. They should have been proactive. They were, and they handed, they handed the White House to Joe Biden because I'm with you. There was glaring rampant electoral fraud. But we had to prove it. You know, we had we had we had these meetings and hearings and yeah. and, you know, we're sitting here saying, OK, and, and ultimately uh, it just feels like yet another. There was the the miss, you know, there was the the whiff at bat, uh, so to speak, leading up to Election Day. And then afterwards, maybe it was asking too much because of all the stuff that happened before, but they, they had to get it together. and It just feels like they weren't able to pull that off. And I, I just want to ask you this. John, well, you run a we, clock, you know, Buck filings court filings take a while the other side can run the clock it was ludicrous to start this effort after election day giving us two months to do it should have been a year down the road georgia was filing lawsuits in georgia a month ago for this special election before the special election they weren't waiting till the morning of january 6th the democrats john do you think that there's a, a hope or, or what do you what do you want the republican machinery of and I'm just going to say it. I think we should take the term resistance back from them now. You know, we, we should use it and, and turn it around in their faces. Like, OK, now we're the hashtag resistance and we'll see how much we have to do with that, depending on on what the final outcome here is on the Senate side. But uh, well, do you think that they can put more America first, more more MAGA type people in roles at the RNC or or is the old GOP? Is this like the Empire Strikes Back? What's going to happen? Great question. I mean, I'll tell you, I've been very vocal about it. I'm working overtime to try to uh, help gut that place. That, and that's a swamp of swamps. I think one of the things that needs to happen, I know the president likes you. He's a fan of yours. We know that. He said so publicly. If the president does happen to see this, I'll say, Mr. President, rescind your endorsement of Ronna Romney McDaniel. Gut the RNC, RNC leadership on your way out the door and understand it's your party. We make it in your America first image. Take that party over out the door. 
That's the only way he needs to rescind. One of the biggest mistakes Donald Trump made was endorsing Ronna McDaniel for another term as RNC chairwoman. She is not an ally. She's done nothing. In fact, she and her ilk, they despise America first. But I will tell you this, Buck, I've had a lot of meetings. You and I have spoken about this offline with very high net worth former RNC mega donors who will never give the RNC another penny. They'd rather donate directly to candidates or to entities that will be a thorn, America first entities that will be a thorn in the, in the side of the RNC. John Cardillo, everybody, uh, follow him on social, on Twitter, if you're not already, and uh, keep an eye out for some things he's got coming this year. John, my friend, good to have you. Always great to see you, Bob. Thanks.